you'll take your copy of God's Word now and go with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. You should have a well-worn path to Acts 15 by now. Let me say, uh, Rachel, even when we start off in the wrong key, I'm grateful because it's a reminder that when we worship the Lord, it's not a performance. And that's important, that we never lose sight of the fact of who we are here to worship, and it's not a performance. And so for people that are not musically inclined like me, it's a big blessing, right? So, um, and Chima, I appreciate what you had to share. I don't know where you're at, I can't find you. I know you're over there, there you are. Um, before you read scripture, man, thank you for that reminder. Um, it fits perfectly with what we're gonna talk about uh, from Acts today. I wanna talk with you guys this morning about making disciples that make disciples. Making disciples that make disciples. Let's pray together. Father, we are so very grateful for this Lord's Day as we have prayed. What a blessing. God, we have read the word today. You've given us your word in our heart language. We each have a copy, whether we have a hard copy or we, we are reading it on our phone or maybe we're reading it on a tablet. God, it's so easy, so easy to take for granted the fact that we have your word in our heart language, God. May you put in our hearts a strong desire to read it. What a gift, God. We will stand before you one day and give an account of what we did with the easy access of your word in our lives. God, may we read it and be shaped by it. So we say thank you for that. God, we thank you that we've sang the word today. What a blessing it is to be able to sing. And Father, we thank you also that we've prayed the word today it's been a blessing so far and god as we move forward in our service and we uh, study the word as a church family we humbly ask for your spirit's illumination god may we see truth god may we embrace the truth and father i pray specifically that we won't just be a hearer but we'll also be a doer and in order to be a doer god we need your spirit to show us in our hearts and in our lives, the areas where this scripture applies to us. God, it's so easy to zone out. It's so easy to think about how this scripture applies to someone else. But Lord, if you've ordained all things and you've decreed all things, that means by your grace and for your glory, you have sitting here before me or listening online, everyone that you want to be here listening online or, or to be here in person. So that means that it applies to us specifically. Help us not blow it off, God. Help us to, to focus and think even now as we pray together. Lord, we're sitting at your feet. Speak to me. Your servant is listening. And give me the strength to apply it to my life. So we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we return to the book of Acts this morning in Acts chapter 15, we've already looked at some of Acts 15, starting in verse 32, and we're going to pick back up there because there's a few more things I want to bring out. Um, but I want you to know this. We're really contextually at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. And we've talked about that before, but when you read the book of Acts, it spans basically Acts 15, 32, uh, all the way to Acts 18, 22. 
And uh, this, this journey that Paul is on was really precipitated or caused or brought about, obviously, by God's working in Paul's life, but his love for the churches, his love for his fellow believers. And so he wants to go visit them, and we'll talk a little bit more about that this, mor this morning. But for now, here's what I want to try to accomplish. I really want to try to accomplish us looking at Paul's strategy for making disciples. He had a strategy. He had a thought process. He was intentional. There was a, there was a goal that he had in mind. There was something that he was trying to accomplish. And I want us to run that through the grid of our own hearts and our own lives. And I want us to think about that for ourselves. Chima's already mentioned it. We're all missionaries. In fact, Eric and Jim and I discussed this this summer as we were thinking through discipleship here at Everglades. What is it that we want our people to know and to do? What is it we want our church family to know and to do if they were planted in an unreached area? Like they should be able, we should each be able, if we're planted in an unreached area, to reproduce ourselves. We should be able to make disciples that make disciples, gather ourselves together and form a church. Right? Because that's what Paul was doing. That's what God wants us to do. And so in order to do that, we need to be thinking ourselves, well, what's my strategy? What's my personal strategy for making disciples? And you may have never thought about that before. But I want you to if you haven't. Or maybe you have, but you haven't visited that in a long, long time we may need to revisit it, right? Because just think about it. You can look at the grid of your own life and figure out very clearly, like you're either making a disciple that's making a disciple or you're not. So there's something that we each can do that we all have different gifts, talents, and abilities when it comes to making disciples that make disciples. And I think we need to think about that as a church family. What does it look like for us as a church to make disciples that make disciples. Does that make sense? It's important for us to think about. So let's take a look at the text together. Begin in verse uh, 36 with me, Acts 15, 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Acts 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance 
the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. I want you to look back with me at Acts 15. So if we're going to make disciples that make disciples, first thing that I want you to notice from the text is that it begins with love and concern. If you're going to be the kind of Christian, <clears throat> if you're going to be the kind of Christ follower that makes disciples that makes disciples, <clears throat> excuse me, it begins with love and concern. Notice in verse 36 at the end where Paul says to Barnabas, let us return and visit. And at the very end of the verse, let's see how they are. I mentioned this in the introduction, like he loved these people. These people were not notches on his belt. This was not so that he could take a picture and put it on social media and everybody think what a great ministry that he had. This isn't any of those things for Paul. Paul genuinely loved his brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, when you, <clears throat> excuse me, when you go on down and you look at verse uh, 41, we also see that when he went, what did he do to the churches? He strengthened them. He strengthened them. He loved them. He cared for them. And he wanted them to grow in faith in Christ. He wanted them to be more like Christ. He wanted them to love Christ. He wanted them to serve Christ. He wanted them to follow Christ. He wanted them to be strengthened in their faith. He wanted them to know the truth about Christ. He wanted the church to be these churches to be healthy. So he shows a love and he shows a concern and he basically tells Barnabas, hey, let's go back and let's revisit. Let's go see how everybody is. Now let's think about that for just a minute. What does that mean that that would require of Paul? Well, it would require of him adjusting his life, adjusting his schedule, <clears throat> adjusting his time, giving, sacrificing putting himself in harm's way again think about that I'm not going to go back through the events with Barnabas I've already talked about that with you but I just wanted to come back and I want you to think about the fact that if you're going to be a disciple that makes disciples Chimo, you will never share the gospel with anybody or build anyone up in the faith if you don't love them I mean, it's so simple. Love motivates us to action. A child's playing in the street, a semi comes. What motivates someone to risk their life to rescue that child from being struck by a car? Love. Love. What should motivate us to share the gospel, but then not only share the gospel, but to get in someone's life and help them become more like Jesus? Love and concern. So I thought about this. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to look with me at what Paul has to say. We all know that he went through a lot. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 24 through 28. Paul says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Think about that. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. In danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst. Often without food. In cold and exposure. Brothers and sisters, that's what it means to follow Jesus. It's not a tattoo or a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. It's about dying to self and giving yourself away for the good of other brothers and sisters in Christ and for those that don't know the Lord because you love them and have a concern for them. Individuals and local churches. Look at the text again, verse 28. And apart from other things... There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for who? What does the text say? All the churches. All the churches. You can go back to Acts 15 now. Paul is saying, this is amazing for us to wrap our mind around. All the physical hardship and suffering and adversity that he went through, he said, one of the greatest things he struggled with was the anxiety that he had because he loved and he cared his cared about his sister local churches. It's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. In fact, we could connect the dot, could we not, that all those persecutions that he just mentioned is connected because he was ministering to local churches. So he didn't just say it, but he backed it up by the way that he organized and lived his life it's really powerful so i thought about this this morning for application have you ever wondered why we at everglades help so many local churches you ever wondered that i mean have you ever just sat there and thought don't we have enough to do here i mean we don't have a building we we got so much that we need to do here why would we why would we go help other local churches because we're family. Amen? We're family. And a lot of our sister local churches are small, even smaller than ours. And I want you to understand that in a small rural local church, they are a sitting duck for a very bad pastor to come in and not lead them well. And so one of the things that God has given us to do as a local body here at Everglades is to come alongside our, our sister churches that are, that are more rural than we are that, that no one really wants to go pastor necessarily and help them be firm in the faith, grounded in the faith, to love them, to share the gospel with them, point them to Jesus and help them be healthy. We don't exist for ourselves. We've said this all along. Why would we go help other churches? Paul did it. You ever wondered why God's blessed us with so many guys that can preach? You ever wondered that? And I pray for more. God, bring us more brothers that can preach. Give us more brothers that can teach. It's because God is using us around the lake to help other sister churches become stronger, to become healthy. And if you've never been to any of these local churches and, and, and been a part of it. 
one of the things that you need to understand, and I've said this so many times, and I understand that you don't get it unless you see it, but you're so blessed at Everglades. By God's grace, we're a healthy church. We're not a perfect church, but we're a healthy church. And for no other reason, <clears throat> it's because we believe, thus saith the Lord. And it's hard for us to wrap our mind around the fact that we sit here every single week and no matter who stands up and teaches you, we all believe that, God, that God's word is inerrant, infallible, inspired, and sufficient. It's all that we need. It's hard to believe that not every church is like that, isn't it? It's kind of like when you're with your own family and you go hang out with another family. And you're like, whoa, they're way different than us. And you kind of think, I thought everybody was like us. No, not necessarily. And I'm not saying again that we're perfect. But I am saying by God's grace, we're healthy. And I am saying by God's grace, he's brought us brothers that can preach. And I am saying that God, by God's grace, he's given us a heart as a church family to help other people. You know what blesses my heart? You know what's really awesome? I've never once had one of you ever ask me, why are you doing what you're doing? You know what that tells me? Though you may not fully understand why we're doing what we're doing, you're supportive and you're grateful and you have a kingdom mindset and you realize that it's not just about us, but it's about other churches being healthy. Right? We can lament the culture all we want, but until our local churches get healthy, our culture is going to stay the same. And until the pulpits get back to a healthy preaching expositorily of God's word and the church lining itself underneath Christ as head, we're still going to be weak. Does that make sense? This is so important. So let me give you just a, a snapshot of some of the churches by God's grace we've been able to help. We've been able to minister in a church over in Felda. We've helped Treasure Island several different times over the years. We've helped Canal Point several different times over the years. Pastor Jim just went to Big Cypress. We're now helping First Indian over on the res. As they're without a pastor, you can be praying for them. We helped Brighton Baptist for a very long time at the... Uh, West of town. Um, we helped Moorhaven for a very long time. East side over in LaBelle for a very long time. We've helped Buckhead Ridge in the past as well. And I may be missing a few. So forgive me if I did. Did you just catch what I just said? Look at us. We look different, don't we? I got Greg sent me a picture the other day of when he was in South Sudan, there was a group of believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ in South Sudan, that were sitting under the trees like you are. And he said, look, they worship like y'all. Isn't that cool? Like in the American context, what you are doing is weird. It doesn't make sense. You sit out in the hot Florida weather where it's muggy. Listening to the word of God, that's crazy. Why don't you just go somewhere where they got air conditioning? You know why? It's because you understand God's brought you here and we're striving to build the kingdom. God can use us with or without what other people think we have to have. 
God's not constrained by what we think we have to have in order to advance the kingdom. The only thing he's wanting us to do is what he wanted from Isaiah, which is to put our yes on the table and say, okay, God, got it. I'll go. Send me. I'll do it. And so I wanted to encourage you this morning that as you're sitting here week after week after week, and maybe you wonder, what are we doing for the kingdom? Are we doing anything for the kingdom? The answer is yes. Tuesday, this week, we support Greg and Kilby Helms. Tuesday of this week, he's going to be meeting with 30 different pastors for the, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Uganda, and another country that he mentioned, and I can't remember, forgive me. 30 different pastors are going to gather together to read the book of Genesis for the very first time in their lives and figure out what the Bible has to say. You're a part of that. And all that comes out of love and concern. Because every single year when we have these budget meetings and you're like, I just want to go home. Don't go, ah, I just want to go home. I want you to see it as a very vital part of what we're doing missionally. Because you're voting on how we're spending our money. And nothing shows you your values like how you spend your money individually or as a family or as a church family. So every time you raise your right hand and you say, yes, I will vote for that budget. You are also saying, yes, I want the gospel to go throughout the ends of the earth. Isn't that awesome? Ah, Jim, I'm jumping up and down on the inside. I'm about to jump up and down on the outside. I don't know what else we should be doing as a church. Studying God, loving God, and taking the gospel to the nations. But if you don't love God first and love your neighbor as yourself, you won't have that kind of care and concern for others. You'll hear the request about another church, and you'll be like, oh, man, that's tough. I sure hope they get that worked out. No. We should be praying. So I just want to encourage you to be praying. Praying for these churches. Right now, uh, First Indian Brighton is without a church. Tom is helping at Canal Point as an interim, but that's just a transitional pastor. That's not a permanent thing. As I mentioned earlier, he's helping them transition through different challenges to get them ready for a permanent pastor. So they still need a permanent full-time pastor. There are others as well, but... I need to go on. Number number two. Number two. Making disciples that make disciples means. All right, now hear me carefully. You've been walking with Jesus any moment of time, any length of time, you're gonna understand what this says. Making disciples that make disciples means that you will face past hurts and have to trust God and move forward by faith. Let me say that again. I don't say much that's worth writing down, but that one might be. I don't know. Making disciples that make disciples means that you will face past hurts and have to trust God. And you're going to have to move forward by faith. Notice the text. Acts 16, verse 1. Where does Paul go? Where does Paul go? Well, the Bible tells us he goes to Derby and to Lystra. Why is that important? Well, if you remember what we studied, the end of his first missionary journey, where did he wrap things up at? Right around Derby and Lystra. Do you remember what happened to him in Iconium, Derby, 
and Lystra. Probably, as we discussed, the hardest part of his first missionary journey. They actually not only thought about killing him, plotted to kill him, but attempted to kill him. Do you remember that? Where he was stoned and they drug him outside of the city and he was left for dead. Remember that? So much hardship, so much adversity. Where does he go in verse 1? He goes right back to Derby and to Lystra. Why is that important? Well, if you've ever gone through adversity, hardship, and hurt, you know that when you get in a situation similar, what resurfaces? All those old memories, all those old thoughts, and all those old feelings. But Paul's love and concern for these churches outweighed the struggle he had with his past. And if you're not careful, you will get paralyzed by your past. And all of your best days serving the Lord will be in the past. Yes, God does great things and has done great things in the past. Right? He has. But we live in the present. Don't be the kind of Christian where your best days are in the past. Be the kind of Christ follower that makes disciples that makes disciples despite the hurt, despite the heartache, despite the struggle, despite the pain, despite the things that you've been through, that you'll keep pressing forward, moving forward in faith, making disciples and not getting paralyzed by fear. By fear. Then I thought about this, Pastor Jim. You know what question he would have been asked every city that he went to on his second missionary journey he thought about this who's not with him who was with him in his first missionary journey that's not with him in his second missionary journey are y'all with me now Barnabas do you understand every place he would have been to he would have been asked the question hey where's Barnabas what happened to old Barnabas and what we read in Acts 15 about the sharp disagreement that caused him to split, he would have had to have thought about that as well. And he would have had to have navigated that with wisdom and grace so that he spoke well about Barnabas, that he did not tear him down, but he built him up in front of his brothers and sisters in Christ. It's important to think about. He not only faced his past for all of the persecution that he went to, but every city he would have went to, he would have had to answer the question, where's Barnabas? And he would have relived what happened in his heart and his mind with what happened to Barnabas. And he would have had to have chosen, with God's strength and God's help, to speak well of someone, not poorly of someone. It's very important. Now, I want you to notice in verses 1 through 3, look back at the text. There was a disciple there named Timothy. And then look at verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Most commentators believe that Timothy was in his late teens, maybe early 20s. So he's a young man. But do you remember what happened the last time Paul wanted to take a young man with him on a journey? Do you remember that? John Mark? The last time that Paul took a young man with him on a journey... John Mark deserted him. And the whole incident with Barnabas was over who? John Mark. So this is important because Paul 
isn't stuck or paralyzed by bad experiences that happened in his ministry, he still in, picks and invests in a young man. He does not say, I'll never do that again. I'll never pick a young man again. I want a more seasoned guy. He still chooses a young man. It's really, 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 really important. Paul wasn't driven by fear. He was not driven by bad experiences. And brothers and sisters, we have to be honest. If you're going to serve the Lord, I hate to tell you this, but I got to tell you this. You're going to have bad experiences. You are. Anytime you stand for truth, anytime you stand for God's word, anytime you serve God, you are hated. You are an enemy of, of Satan and, and, and his whole dark realm. Like all of that doesn't want you to say anything, do anything, or serve the Lord. You have a bullseye on your chest, so to speak. And if you're not careful, he will get you with a stun gun and get you paralyzed and you'll stop serving and you'll stop praying and you'll fill yourself up and your time up with busyness and you'll start justifying why you're doing what you're doing instead of serving the Lord. You know how I know that? I've had to wrestle through that in my own heart. Do you understand that Paul is like us? He would have had to wrestle with this. Whoa, i got to go back to Lystra and Derby. No, he doesn't say that. I want to go back to Lystra and Derby, even no matter how I was treated. Oh, I'm going to take a young man with me. I'm going to take, I'm going to take Timothy, even though John Mark belled on me. I'm going to give this guy, give this guy a shot. If you think about that, really vitally important. Third. Making disciples that make disciples involves leadership development. Leadership development. To make a disciple that makes a disciple, you have to really develop a leader. Ministry leaders in the life of Everglades, you should be thinking, how can I develop a leader? How can I get someone to help me? How can I work myself out of a job? How can I give myself away? How can I reproduce myself spiritually? You need to be thinking in that way. That's how Paul thought. He knew he was not going to be around forever. He certainly, if he didn't die from persecution, was going to be locked up in jail so he couldn't minister to his local churches. He needed to invest in somebody that could do the work when he couldn't. Does that make sense? So here's my thing. If, it, if, if this was God's strategy for Paul in the first century, has it stopped in the 21st century? The answer to that question is no. It's still God's strategy. It's still God's strategy to make disciples that make disciples and to develop leaders. That hasn't changed. Now, look at the text. Let's look at Timothy. He was spoken of. Sorry. Let's look at Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman. He was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So Paul was going to develop a leader ethnically. Right? That was Jewish and Greek, which means he had a Roman citizenship and he was Jewish. That's important. Because it meant that he could go into the synagogues and teach. After he was circumcised, but he could go in and he could teach. Timothy was going to be more effective. So Paul chose someone based on his ethnicity so that he could be more effective in ministry. Hey, this guy has all the benefits of being a Roman citizen, 
while also all the benefits of being a Jewish, uh, with, with, with being Jew. And so therefore, he is a, a great person to partner in ministry with. Look back at the text. Look back at verse 1. So it's not only just the ethnic reason, but more importantly than that, how is Timothy described in verse 1? He is a disciple. He is a disciple. It's interesting. If we believe that every word matters in the text, and it does, then there's a reason why Timothy is described as a disciple. What it means is, it's twofold meaning. One, he's a learner. He's someone that was learning the word of God. Number two, it also means that he was a doer. He was learning the word and applying the word. It's interesting, in the original language, it means this. It, it's a learner or a pupil. It implies a closer relationship than just information. You know, if you're not a disciple that's making disciples, you've got to be careful that you're not just an information gatherer. You know what happens to information gatherers? Paul says, love builds up. He says, but knowledge puffs up. You're not careful. You gotta be careful. Are you only about reading? Are you only about learning? Or are you about reading and learning, which we need to do, and then passing that on to someone else and helping them go farther in their faith and journey than you will ever go yourself? Until you grasp that concept, that ministry is not about you, and making a disciple is not about you, and this information that you've, you've been given is not primarily about you, but it's meant to give to someone else and to help them go farther than you ever will, then your usefulness for the kingdom will always be hampered and hindered. Christ is looking for disciples, not information gatherers. What was the Pharisees' problem? Their problem was not that they knew stuff, right? They knew lots of stuff. They didn't embrace Christ. It's important. It's a good question to ask is, am I a disciple of Christ? Am I a learner and a follower? Am I applying? Am I even trying to make a disciple? Go back to the text. Look at verse 2. This is so powerful. He was well spoken of by the brothers. Jim, that word well spoken of in the ESV, I don't know what it says in the King James, but in the original language, it's our word martyr, witness. It doesn't mean in this, the way it's being used, that Timothy was martyred for his faith. That's not what it means. It means that the brothers were bearing witness about Timothy that he was the real deal. Right? That's what it means. When Timothy's name came up in conversation, someone said about him, Oh yeah, I know Timothy. He loves God. He worships God. He follows God. He loves the word. He applies the word. He lives the word. He's the real deal. He's not fake. He's not phony. He's not just in it for what he can get. He's the real deal. That's what it's saying about him. That had a good reputation. It's probably worth asking ourselves. I wonder what people say. So for Paul, he says it in the text. Luke records it. <coughs> because of the Jews that were in all these places, they knew that his father was a Greek. 
So he has Timothy circumcised, not because Timothy needs it in order to be saved, but to build a bridge between the his Greek father and the Jews they were going to be ministering to and opening the door for him to be able to preach in the synagogues. It was all about accommodation. It was not about compromise. So don't, don't miss that. Now, I want you to notice, look back at the text. Look at verse 4. They went on their way through the cities, and they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. You know what this means? Phil, this is just an ordinary ministry. Why do we live in a day where we just want to gravitate to the extraordinary Israel? It's crazy. It's just an ordinary means of grace. Day in, day out. Living the word, preaching the word, sharing the word, passing on what happened in the Jerusalem council. Now I want you to notice the results. Be careful that you don't get caught up in the, the movement of our culture of the extraordinary. Look at verse 5. This is so cool. All of the things that we've talked about, his love and concern for the church, making and developing a disciple, a leader. Everything that we've talked about crescendos. It comes to one climactic moment here in the text in verse 5, where Paul get, or excuse me, where Luke gives a description of what happens because of this ministry. Before we read it, let me remind you to read it with what I told you in mind that this is taking place in Derby and Lystra, the place that Paul was willing to die to himself and go back to. Look at verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. These churches that they were visiting, they were just going from one church to the next church, to the next church, to the next church, to the next church, ministering the word, loving on people, praying for them and all these things. And the churches were strengthened. It means to be established. It means to be firm. It means to be stable. Isn't that cool? Yeah, Ms. Kim, there are a lot of churches sometimes that get wonky and get unstable. But it's the word of God and the ministry of God's people that brings stability to a local church. Now, I want us to focus on the end of verse 5, and we're almost done. I want you to notice what it says. And they increased in numbers daily. You know, Pastor Jim, sometimes... Because our church culture in America has so emphasized numbers, we swing the pendulum so far in the other direction that we never really talk like we ought, maybe, about how a healthy church is not only growing in their faith and becoming more like Jesus, but it grows numerically. Let me tell you a little bit about this word increased. It means that there was a superabundance. Let me say it differently. More than enough. Think about that. Luke is describing, because of Paul and Silas and Timothy's ministry, their faithful ministry of making disciples that make disciples, 
the faithful ministry of loving people where they're at and helping them become more like Jesus. The church became state. These churches are becoming stable. They're not rocky and unsettled and immature in their faith. They're not blown around by every wind of doctrine or they're not blown around by cultural pressure, but they become stable and rooted in Jesus. But there's also an increase in numbers. Not numbers for the sake of numbers, but people coming to faith in Christ. Think about that. What? 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 <laughs> this is awesome. Like, could you imagine that we had such a problem in the local church here at Everglades where we said, man, there's just too many people coming to faith in Christ. We have an abundance of people coming to faith in Christ. I don't know any church in America that's saying that. I think most of our churches, especially, like I said, our small rural local churches are saying, we just need people to show up. <laughs> Think about what I told you. How does this happen? God's grace, God ordains it, I get it, but we are responsible to make disciples that make disciples and use his means, not our means. And trust and pray, God bless us. Bring more people that can hear the word of God and bring more people that can hear the gospel. Bring more people that can come to faith in Christ and I wanna be a part of that process. God, I wanna bring a family, I wanna bring a friend, I wanna bring a coworker, I wanna bring somebody to hear the word. Or I want to sit down and share a meal with them or whatever it looks like. It's pretty important. I thought it was worth bringing out. I think sometimes in Reformed circles, we, we, we want to be doctrinally pure so much. And I think that's a good thing. It's okay to pray for people to come to Christ. It's okay to pray for a superabundance of people. It's okay to pray for the harvest. In fact, Jesus said it, did he not? Pray for the harvest, that workers will go out and work these fields. I want you to think about that this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. It's, it's a powerful thing to think about the fact that the Apostle Paul went through so many different things. So much adversity, so much hardship, but yet he was not driven by fear. And he was not driven by the past and he did not get paralyzed, but he kept persevering by the grace of God and your spirits work in him. And he continued to make disciples. And when we read verse five, oh my goodness, how you blessed his faithfulness. Do that here, Lord, we pray. God, we pray that you bless our faithfulness, Lord. We trust the answer to that prayer. But God, we pray that you build our church as you see fit. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand on your feet as we close. We're the Lord through a song. <clears throat>